This episode of The Luminaries on Deep in the Weeds is proudly supported by Deputy, rostering and timesheets without the usual chaos. The restaurant industry as a as a whole, I, I am in awe of how it is able to adapt to any situation. I just love being part of that. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, being a being a restaurateur is for me is you know core to being a, being part of um, society. This is the Luminaries on the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. It's an understatement to say the last few years have caused an upheaval in our lives, from natural disasters to global pandemic, environmental and climate concerns, political tensions across the globe. The last few years have made us think differently about what matters and the road forward. What does that road look forward for those carving out careers in food? Mark Best is one of Australia's most influential chefs and restaurateurs. Mark, how are you? Very well. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you um, back on the show. You, the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about change and opportunity to fix things that were broken in hospitality. Now that there's a little bit um, more sort of daylight at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, uh, do you see that happening? Do you see that change happening in the industry? Uh, I do. I, I think those, the, these years have gone on to become, the, they started calling the great resignation. It wasn't quite that. It was just the, the great rationalisation, I think, that everyone's been through. And uh, so I, I think I've, you know, on record as saying that, the, the, you know, the industry um, is suffering or suffered through COVID, you know, every inherent fault that it had. Um, it's just the COVID just acted as an accelerant and, um, you know, Floods, famine, war, notwithstanding, you know, have all, you know, gone on to sort of exacerbate that issue. So the, I mean, the, the biggest, the biggest issue with the industry has been anyone that's had a financial, uh, you know, financially tied to it um, at the time. So there, unfortunately, that's where all the bad news is coming. But I think in Sydney, I mean, especially that's it's incredibly vibrant at the moment with new openings and certainly plenty of money coming back in. I mean, the restaurant industry as a monolith, um, will always look after itself. I mean, it's incredibly adaptable and, um, will adapt to the market, whatever it is. Um, that's just how it always has been. Um, but, um, it's, um, it's the, the churn associated with that, which is always the issue. Sort of some of the natural disasters aside at the moment, which is not to downplay the significance of them, but in, in the cities, the restaurant scenes and, and nightlife is really quite vibrant at the moment. Everything seems to be coming back to life. Um, what's what's your sense of, of that feeling and, and what it feels like to dine at the moment? Um, yeah, look, there was a lot of... Um you know, pent up desire to get back to normal. Um, and there's certainly, I think there are certain, you know, cohorts, especially in the city have never been wealthier. They've certainly, um, if not savings have actually made money over this time. So, um, I'm, I'm hearing on the street that the average check is uh, bigger than it's, uh, you know, ever been, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, heaps of new openings, especially in Sydney. I was speaking to someone yesterday, in the know and um you know certainly perhaps melbourne is behind where sydney is at the moment um it's rebounded um quite quickly um but again both both cbds are suffering melbourne more so than sydney um 
but um, it, it, I guess it shows the cultural difference also the, in the in the two dining scenes as well. Your influence is incredible over Australia's dining history, and you know you took Mark to great heights globally, making sort of the top hundred list and and all sorts of things. How different do you see the restaurant model these days compared to that sort of era of such great success that you had? Um, I mean, fundamentally, it's it's no different. Um, if if you um, revert to you know first principles of hospitality and quality, etc., um, you're always going to do well eventually. Um, if you've got talent added to that mix, even better. Um, and unfortunately, that was sort of co-opted in a way by um, by need, which was uh, competition. Was There was too much competition, too many openings, and then, you know, other things came in, you know, um, you know, the, the media started to gain power and they became the gatekeepers to whoever's going to succeed and that was pretty much, you know, based on celebrity as well. So that was all part of it. Um, one of the things I've seen in, through this is that um, that type of celebrity and even that type of food media have been completely flatlined. Um, so it, it really is back to um, those good old-fashioned first principles of hospitality um, and good value at whatever you know, whatever price point you're at, um, things are, are arguably more expensive and probably that's a real cost, even if you've uh, noticed uh, your Uber rides are going through the roof in terms of what they were, but that's the actual cost, not the, the money being churned underneath. Um, so, you know, things have, things have fundamentally changed. I mean, it's no different to when I first started, but I don't think um, that those avenues of celebrity, etc., cetera, um, are going to be there for quite a long time. I mean, all of those different channels, um, which are, you know, basically barnacles on the industry, um, you know, are going to have to find their own way. Uh, Mark was um, so successful. I know you've done so much more before and after that, but it's fascinating to sort of dissect it and look at the fact that you were just looking to do um, a quality bistro that became one of the best restaurants in our history I'd, I'd love to sort of look at that transformation and the evolution of that and, and what's, what were the challenges and, and successes in making that happen? Um, so many challenges. <laughs> uh, look, um, like, like everyone else, as you said, it started off uh, wanting to, to, to be a good bistro, you know, representing those good, good um, Parisian bistros that I'd fallen in love with and regional French and Italian cuisine as I'd travelled through and that's what I wanted to replicate and then just got ahead of myself, like literally <laughs> a fairly loose concept but already signed the lease and then signed up an architect and, you know, pretty much pretty much railroaded into something. Whether that was, you know, conscious or not, um, hard to say. I suspect I knew where I wanted to go but um, that was a way of not having to be challenged by anyone else. So, um, yeah, we ended up having to have this fit out at Mark um, and we needed a food concept to fit it, so I had to rewrite the menu and the entire thing to fit the very flash, uh, flash um, fit out that we just put in. What was it like for you at that time to rewrite that? Was it was it nerve-wracking? or? Yeah, it, that was like the most difficult period, I think. Uh, I don't think I've ever been skinnier, you know, um, just the amount of stress, you know, of of not knowing of not knowing really what you wanted to do, 
or how you wanted to do it, you know, um, and uh, probably leaning too heavily on your heroes, um, using them as crutches. So, you know, I'd worked at Alambasad, I'd worked for Raymond Blanc, you know, and my other heroes were Pierre Gagné and Michelle Bra and um, that type of iconoclastic people, you know, sort of going against it, fitted what it, where I saw myself as going against the, the status quo. Um, and they also produced absolutely delicious food. Um, and I saw them as a sort of a, a roadmap of, of sorts for where Australia should be in its approach. Um, and uh, so I sort of took that on. I mean, how to establish my own voice with those very lofty ambitions was another thing. So I think that's where the stress came from. Well, you really did um, create your own voice on on the plate to stand out amongst you know some of Australia's best chefs. Well, tell us about that journey. But it took it took it, it took. I mean, it took um, it took more than ten years before I was starting to even understand what that voice was. And I think if you're going back to your original point, I mean, how did I get here? I have no idea. I do know that it took a long time and enormous amount of work and enormous amount of um, soul-searching is too big. But, um, you know, like just uh, introspection um, and and that, you know, I'll, I'll quote myself, your eternal dissatisfaction, you know, with with everything. And, um, and I think you'll find that, that everyone that tries to create something suffers from that same thing. It's not imposter syndrome. uh, syndrome. That's, that's bullshit. I always knew where I should be in the, you know, the pantheon of the food gods. And that's sort of where I wanted. I mean, that sounds completely egotistical, but you have to have some aim um, and some end goal, even, even as, uh, yeah, I guess as a, even if it's not completely defined at the time, I guess you went to find where you went when to end up in, in food, you know, and I just wanted to add to the narrative of um, Australian cuisine. Did you have doubts about your abilities in the kitchen and, and, and what you were presenting to the market? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone did. So did my staff. Yeah. The chefs, I went through heaps of chefs. He said, no, you can't do that. No, mate, you can't do that. You go, so I've sacked that fucking asshole, and then like get onto someone that who was going to be a bit more supportive. But you know, there are always naysayers, even in your own organisation, let alone the market. Um, I was so lucky that I actually had an audience that were thoroughly supportive, and whatever you did, you know, um, they wanted more. So that was what drove me. Um, the people in the kitchen that said that you couldn't do it, and yes, there were a lot of failures, and I think that that. Um, you know, you, you people worry too much about the failures. You know, you have to look at the what your overall plan is and uh, is seeing if you're making any sort of uh, incremental steps. You know, towards that. It's a terrible bit. It's a terrible bloody business model. Let me tell you that. But um, artistically, it's incredibly satisfying. What are the stepping stones to success? Like, how do you achieve sort of that goal for young operators that are out there that you know want to follow their path and and create their own voice? Like, what are the keys to that? Uh, uh, you have to set set standards for yourself and your own work. Um, you have to create a culture um, that supports your vision. Um, you have to allow them to contribute in a real way. Obviously, you're directing everyone um, and 
probably, you know, had chefs that go through there and go, uh, you know, he doesn't really know. He, you know, lacks vision or doesn't know what he's doing or he can't cook, you know, they've heard it all. But, you know, like, <laughs> meanwhile, through every incarnation, everyone that's gone through there, the standards of the restaurant stayed the same. So I always saw the restaurant and uh, its its output and what it, what it meant as a, as a brand itself and that I was only part of that. And I always recognised that and um, that, um, you know, everyone were just sort of bit players or, you know, talented bit players in the, in the, in the whole thing. And um, eventually I think we, with that attitude, attracted, um, attracted the team that, you know, really made it sing and got us onto the world stage, you know, and they've gone on to do great things themselves. Um, but they were always very much part of an active part of the creative process and the technical process in that. Um, so well, the alumni that uh, have come from your kitchens is quite extraordinary. What's it feel like for you to then go and experience their restaurants and their success? Do you have any stories of those experiences? Um, I, um, I continue to sort of add my opinion to some of them required or not asked or not. Um, and, um, but, you know, I, I think that mentoring thing is ongoing and and, and gradually, um, like I did, releasing, I didn't have any direct mentors. I mean, they were sort of from afar, um, pre-internet, et cetera. And, um, um, but, you know, it's about them finding their own voice and gradually, like they learn to swim on their own, excuse the metaphors, but um, you learn to swim on their own. You can basically, you know, they get to take the floaties off and you can let them out into the big end, um, you know, and then they're on their own. They can swim, you know. It's like having children, you know, they start up incredibly needy and get less and less needy until they're telling you what to do and that's how it is, you know. For those listening that might be thinking that it's not happening fast enough for them, um, how important is time and experience for a young chef? Um, it's it's everything. I mean, uh, one thing I do say to people is that um, while you're in it, it might seem like it's taking a long time, but it takes an incredibly long time to establish your own voice and to establish your brand. I mean, one thing that people um, I mean, one mistake people make is wanting to hurry up that process and they want to be their heroes but not realising what it takes to get there. It takes a level of maturity. It takes, it takes you know, the, the old trope of taking 10,000 hours to become an expert. I believe it probably takes more than that. And um, especially recognising that this is, um, industry is not just a business and it's not just... Um, it's it's not just a vehicle for your own celebrity. If you want to get into it and if you truly love it and the craft of food service, the craft of being a chef, the craft of hospitality and service and just realising that it takes so long to accumulate the experience required to fully express what you want to express. You know, like I feel at even my age now, I'm just my offering would be so much different, um, more unique uh, perhaps more relaxed but yet more confident so i mean that's just experiences and um, and just completely removing my my ego from any decision this episode of the luminaries on deep in the weeds is proudly supported by deputy helping managers and staff do their best work Building a business is hard. I feel it because I build my business. But I can tell you one thing, that every single day, I feel very blessed 
for the impact our business, Deputy, has in this hospitality community and the numerous stories that we have been part of. Stories where I've heard Deputy customers who have opened new restaurants because of the cost savings they have had by implementing Deputy in their business. Being able to open new restaurant, creating new employment, new opportunities, and new connections. For more information, go to deputy.com. We had a chat about a year ago, and we were talking about the, the evolution that our food culture has gone through, particularly the last 15, 20 years. But um, we didn't really touch on sort of where it's headed. It's been extraordinary uh, you know, the last two decades. But where, where do you see food and and the idea of Australian food um, into the future? Um, I've spent the last few years probably getting more in touch with the producer than I ever purported to do as a chef. Um, and it's not just about visiting a property once. It's about getting a deep understanding. I've learned more in the past three years working with the MLA or representing different food brands like Magra and, uh, or, you know, we've, I visited the Blackmores on their property yesterday. Um, and, you know, I've been writing for uh, Rare Medium, which is one of the industry things spotlight on, you know, and uh, the amount, I'm astounded at, uh, you know, how much, how much I learn and continually learn. It's just a completely different discipline. And my appreciation for the producers is just is just profound. And uh, what I see is um, that restaurants and the supply chain are fundamentally broken. Um, I was in the Riverland two weeks ago and just seeing the quality of the produce out of there that cannot find any market. And us... And this is just down to basics like dried fruit, which doesn't make it to market in Sydney. And you think, well, what's fundamentally broken here? It's like just unbelievable how good it is, you know, and picking, you know, uh, Smyrna figs um, dripping with nectar, you know, um, pollinated by wasps, which I also didn't know. Um, and then and from 80-year-old fig trees from return servicemen from World War One. I. I mean, these are not stories that we've seen on the eastern seaboard. And so to see that and you just go, shit, what have I been doing all these years, you know, as a chef? And so I've been really trying to help a lot of these people sort of come to market, you know, and just like I did seafood cookery school with um, the, the carp whisperer from Kurong Wild Seafood, you know, and just introducing the Sydney – crowd through that through to his car product you know just stuff just things like that are incredibly fascinating for me just to sort of i guess trying to you know close those lines of supply to the to the end user which is the chefs and the restaurants and the eastern seaboard has this um connection um and um, that you've been creating with producers and this greater knowledge has, has that changed the way you cook in the kitchen yeah yeah 100 percent um i uh i think you know i was saying before we're going to do this you know this thing just i mean that idea of eating the problem and it's not about being meaningful or whatever it's just like using what's in front of you i mean we've got you know chefs in the riverland that um are community-based hotels you know and not using 
one single thing from their community and it's like a literal breadbasket, you know, on the Murray and they're buying all of their produce from one one distributor and then complaining that they're not getting community support. I mean, at this stage, the community are act- actively opposing them. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just how it is when you've got producers that are not being represented on their own local tables. I mean... That's just how it is, and I, I understand. And um, so we're just trying. I'm just trying to get a rocket up chef's asses and just going support people that are around you. You know, in in meaningful ways, like in commercial. I mean, we we talk a lot about sustainability, but it's about financial sustainability as well for the people because without that, all the rest is a moot point. So interesting stuff for me. Yeah. If you're a young person interested in a career in food these days, where would you be putting your energy? Um, I think there's enormous opportunities in the country now that didn't exist before. I mean, we live in the information age where um, country people and country tourism, and certainly since COVID, um, local tourism, I think, is going to be a focus. Um, There's a renewed focus on our own regions are the beauty of Australia and our regional areas and they are truly beautiful and why we don't value them over, um, you know, other patches in other countries that look fairly similar and perhaps far more expensive and less and probably not as good but because, you know, that cultural cringe is alive and well in Australia Um, and somehow we value things that are from overseas greater than what's in our own backyard and I don't mean to be all flag flag wavy and nationalistic at all i'm just saying that if you want to look at things objectively um there's a lot to be had here whether you're going to the clare valley or the riverland or hunter valley you know out to the orange district you know um and just the the vibrancy there and i think also a, a lot driven by young people being priced out of uh, the metropolitan areas in terms of opportunity, housing, et cetera, um, that perhaps finding opportunities in their regional homes, which is fantastic. And they're also in that creating a sort of enough of a impetus um, to create communities around food. I mean, especially one of the, probably one of the, the canaries for these regions is the coffee scene. Um, so people, people opening up small coffee, uh, cafes you know if you go down to south you know I remember years ago going and seeing down in southwestern western australia which was like there was nothing there and then like just finding a five senses coffee served in one of the small coffees and going along and you go you go oh, okay all right you just know that you've arrived somewhere as a as a food tourist you know going through there but that's that's how it starts you know that um can be the coffee can be the cafe creates competition creates an audience um greater curiosity with people and i see um i see young chefs um you've got to be careful you've got to make make sure that there is an actual community need or that there's enough people in the community to support your business i think um you would have to put a good business case against it but i think there's enormous opportunity in in country areas and probably cheaper rents etc staff is obviously an issue but perhaps you just have to have a not have a full-blown restaurant concept straight up. I mean, maybe build on it, you know, start at something small that you can basically two people can run, you know. Um, that's how I would start now. 
there has been a, an, an evolution of regional uh, restaurants and dining. Do you think that now, given the circumstances of the last couple of years and, and also what you're seeing that you were just talking about, is there an opportunity to have a real um, voice on the plate representative of, of regions and a sense of place? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I think that perhaps um, that that voice can be closer to the source now than it ever was. Um, the voice was very much metropolitan, Australia-centric. And, you know, if you've got the a paddock to plate ethos and the, and the plate is, you know, I mean, the paddock is, you know, a thousand k's away. I think it's, you know, you'd have to put your hand on your heart and ask yourself, do you really have this? <laughs> you just part the... <laughs> You know, you've you've shortened the food chain a little bit, but how much are you actually contributing? You know, so it doesn't mean you can't use those products, but you know, I think it's undermining to have that sort of ethos is sort of undermining yourself to come up with that. It's, it's a bit more, I think, it's a bit more identity posturing than anything. So, yeah, no, I I, I think if you're going to open a country restaurant and growing your own garden, the, the hyper-local idea of Bray, which is at the, the very top end of that, you know, it's the best representation. Um, and, you know, Michael Ryan, et cetera, chefs like that have, you know, been pioneers in the regions. And um, so I think, you know, you can even go to Canberra and uh, get some pretty decent bites to eat on the way if you want to go out into, you know, Greys or whatever, south of Collector at Gundaroo, wherever it is. You know, there's plenty of good little restaurants now with um, good chefs that have trained in good places. That's so really, really fascinating. Your influence didn't stop when you closed, Mark. You've done so many things since then. What, 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 what fills you with joy these days? Like, what do you, what do you get your hands on and really dive into? Yeah, a good eight hours sleep fills me with joy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got some simpler needs. Um, yeah, not finding another grey hair in the eyebrows fills me with joy. Um, um, what I've uh, what happened? I over COVID. Um, I like everyone else had to um, had to to really. I'm hesitate. I'm not, trying not to use the word that everyone used, but I'm just trying to adapt you know, to, to the situation and keep a roof over over our heads. And so my things like my photography uh, came to the fore, which predated my cooking and everything. I learned it back as a kid in school in South Australia um, under a benevolent uh, Dunstan government. So we were taught photography and all those skills. So that never went away um, and the love of it. And so I taught myself Premiere Pro and um, – started um, filming myself and uh, found myself <laughs> becoming a, an influencer in the ingredient field. And so, you know, it actually, the first the first half dozen were pretty rudimentary, but I've got better and better at it. And, um, you know, I always challenge myself to do better in everything that I do. And uh, that was one of them. So I think the my, the, my greatest moment was when I'd, Bought yet another soft box off of Amazon, which filled the room. It looked like the looked like a full moon in the lounge room. And um, screaming at my wife, she's saying, "Oh my god!" And jumps out. I'm just saying, like some uh, <laughs> some great. 
auteur, you know, saying, I need light, you know, screaming, you know, and they've got this fucking thing glowing on me like the size of the sun, you know, anyway. It was quite funny. I laughed at myself. But, um, no, it's, it's just interesting, and it's interesting looking at food from that point of view as well, from a photographic point of view and uh, a creative filming it, um, filming yourself um, with lots of different uh, shot angles and lighting and all that is absolutely just two minutes. It would take me a day to do two minutes of uh, footage um, just because that's the sort of the thing I set I set myself. Um, so all sorts of angles and everything and reshooting and then editing all together and sound and all the whole lot. But, um, yeah, it was fascinating um, in a way and just it just changed my entire approach to sort of even recipe writing and um, cooking, et cetera, and, and also how to, I guess, communicate with the consumer as well. One of the things that you've been doing as well is imparting your knowledge um, with consulting, whether it's on boats or in in uh, commercial kitchens. What are what are the things that really stand out for you as issues that sort of uh, things that you resolve almost immediately in those circumstances? Um, mostly the ideas uh, exist in isolation. So mostly, what happens is um, the kitchen, um, the kitchen, the restaurant, the name, everything stands in isolation, and nothing is connected or pointing in the same direction. I.e., who is the customer? Um, did the did the customer ask for this, or are we just like Kevin Costnering it? You know, build it and they'll come. Um, and uh, mostly, it's the it's the second part of it. So, what we're going of have a new a new big job coming up. But, you know, one of the beautiful things about that is that we're building the brand pillars and everything follows from that. So that's the first time I've ever been involved from the ground up um, in a very high-end uh, high um, operation where everything, including the name and um, everything follows from the original brand pillars that you build. So that's, you know, I know that not everyone has the money, but really you, that's how successful operations need to be built. It just it just sort of mitigates all of the all of the things that life is going to throw at you as a as a as a restaurateur. You know, to come in come at it with that approach to have just such a a, a solid um, solid idea of uh, where you stand and stand and what your audience is and what your price point is and. Uh, every everything in line before you open your doors because God knows it's um, pretty difficult once you do. At the moment, the industry is opened up again and staffing is a real concern. What, what do you see as the opportunities at the moment for people that are committed to the industry and, um, you know, have a focus to make that their lives? What's the opportunities moving forward in the next couple of years? Um, for those... For those um, who are seasoned professionals, the the opportunities have never never been greater. Um, also, in terms of just the fiscal return for your or your hard work, um, money is money is up there. So if you're if you're um, if you have the talent, you can really you're going to make bank now. No hands down. Um, unfortunately, uh, people. The other side of that is that people are being paid way more than they're worth, um, unsustainably so. Um, people are being attracted to the money that probably 
are not going to last in the industry anyway. And also their expectation that goes along with that money, that position is way beyond their experience. So um, you're sort of finding issues um, in terms of the quality of service or the quality of um, output from a lot of operations where they have high, uh, you know, a staff, a, a high staff bill, but not the experience to match it. So um, you've got other other places like, um, you know, Shell House is always going to attract, you know, where they start at the top and they employed the right people right at the top. They're going to attract all the best talent. Um, Neil Perry obviously is always going to be able to attract eventually the, the the right amount of talent. And the thing is he can always do it himself and he has Josephine. His daughter can step in front of house and I think that's the model for, a, for you know, a standalone restaurant. You need to have that sort of uh, inherent uh, capacity to do it yourself. Um, if I was an investor and employing everyone, I wouldn't like to be in that in that sphere. How do you see the the sort of shape of the the average restaurant these days? The the restaurants you know used to be quite small, uh, family run businesses, and then we got really large restaurants. And that idea that there needed to be 120 seats and um, high turnover. Do you think the actual model is changing a bit coming out of COVID? Um, obviously, there's been a, you know a consolidation. Um, some of the larger larger groups. Um, Merivale's, the Lucas Group, and people like that. Obviously, um, they have the the capital behind them um, and the finance behind them to. But they're basically real estate plays these days, and uh, that's part of the financial model of those restaurants. Um, purchase purchasing the freehold, and then basically controlling the the tenancy. You know, so we're supporting tenancies is what they're doing, um, which is no different to McDonald's or Kennard's Hire or you know, Harvey Norman, um, it's the same thing. I mean, but they're just in the food service. Um, not, I'm not saying anything about that. They're high-quality restaurants and provide a lot of training and they're very good for the industry and I hear a lot of smaller players railing against them. Um, but I think they're basically signs of a maturing industry in Australia as well, that sort of consolidation. I think it, it shows confidence, um, confidence in the Australian dining public and where we are and it's a maturation. Um, it's just one of the phases. Um, I think in Sydney, though, there's so many small places that have opened which are owner-run, which is just, I think it's an incredibly exciting time to eat. Um, the diversity, the diversity in the offering, et cetera, I think has, you know, never been better. Um, more widely spread into the suburbs as well, so the high streets are opening up since covid become more vibrant and alive and I think councils have also recognising that um, you know traffic in terms of vehicle traffic is um, you know kills kills suburbs so you know channeling those into more centralised thoroughfares etc have allowed high streets to open up and um, it's going to be you know I think it's a fascinating time and so hence why it's going to be a long time before the CBD recovers because people you know the, the whole nature of work for people has changed so of course everything that supports it you know of that that fundamental change in how people operate um, is going to be there so and that includes restaurants. I know you're very self-critical but you've had the most extraordinary career so far in food what, what is it that you love about 
the hospitality sector? Um, I'm always I'm always incredibly fascinated by the ingenuity of people. Um, I think, as spoke before, of the the restaurant industry as a as a whole. I'm I'm in awe of how it is able to adapt to any situation. Um, it goes back to the fundamental need for, you know, we have a couple of fundamental needs to procreate, to sleep and to eat, you know, and um, the restaurant industry is there to support people, you know, to feed people. I mean, it's always going to be there and no matter what the what the situation is, someone has to feed them somehow. So I've just, I just love being part of that. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, being a being a restaurateur is for me is you know core to being uh, being part of um, society. I know um, everything that you do sort of had an upheaval as well in the last couple of years. But um, are you quite optimistic about what's ahead and um, what the future holds for all the various things you, that you do? Yeah, I'm just um, yeah. There's so much to do and so little time. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just. Uh, I remain. It's just part of my character to be to be excited by whatever I'm involved in. Um, I tend to, if I get intellectually engaged by anything, I tend to go hard at it um, and to be the very best that I can be in it. And that's what whatever it is. If I if I start something, I I really get involved in it, and um, I just part of me i don't know what it is it's not i'm not competing against anyone i just want to be um as expert as i can be in that area because uh, nothing frustrated than you know must nothing more frustrating than not, you know not living up to my own expectations well uh, mark as ever it's always a pleasure to catch up with you um it's an absolute honor to have you on the luminaries on deep in the weeds today um Please keep in touch. No, pleasure's mine. Thank you so much. Will do. Cheers. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.